Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast and thanks so much for tuning in. Celebration Church is one church in 10 locations across Southeast Louisiana. We are all about changing lives, homes, our city, and the world through Jesus Christ. We hope that you're both encouraged and challenged by today's message. Well, welcome to Celebration Online. This week and this weekend, we're dealing with a lot of uncertainties and challenges here in our region and all across our nation. But let me remind you, last weekend, we were just hoping for everybody to get their electricity turned back on, which reminds us that our focuses and our challenges can change from week to week, month to month, sometimes even day to day. Now, this weekend, honestly, our big focus here in New Orleans is get the Saints winning their football game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Big division rivalry, big game. You know, when I was a boy growing up, though, I was a fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I grew up in north central Florida. The closest team to us was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But back in those days, they were really bad. They were really bad. In fact, they lost the first 26 games that they played until they met the New Orleans Saints and defeated them. And back in those days, they were so bad that somebody asked their coach, what do you think about your team's execution? He said, I'm all for it. That's how bad they were. But you know, they've gotten better. They've got Tom Brady as a the quarterback. They've got a great defense. And so we're afraid our focus this weekend is for the Saints to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, to win their division, to win their conference, to win the Super Bowl. Can I get an amen right there? Amen. Accomplished all those kinds of things. Uh, so sometimes we're changing focuses from time to time. Now, this past week, a lot of our people have been cheering for different teams. They've been cheering for the Democrats or the Republicans or some other group. They've been cheering for uh, different teams. But now it's time for us to come together on the Jesus team. And it's time for us to come together to lift up the name of Jesus, to exalt the name of Jesus, to come together so we can be everything he's called us to be, do what he's called us to do, make the difference he's called us to make in our region and around the world. So take your Bible or your Bible app and turn with me today to John chapter 17. You'll find a study guide for today's message at webcc.info. And the scripture passage for today is there on that study guide as well. Now remember in John 17, we find Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. This was right before he was to be arrested, right before he was to be tried, beaten and crucified. Uh, he, Jesus was about to give his life and make it, to make it possible for all human beings, Democrats and Republicans, black people, brown people, white people, Asian people, for all human beings to become members of God's family and to experience eternal life and a home in heaven. Now, during this prayer time, Jesus was praying also for his followers to be strengthened and his followers to be united. And what he prayed for his followers in that day, he's still up in heaven praying for his followers in our day. Now we looked at the first 19 verses already in John chapter 17. Let's begin today in verse 20. Here's what we find. We find Jesus praying. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's me and you right there. He's praying for. He said, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. They have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me that you loved, and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Oh, righteous father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. 
Now, we've been preaching through this One Heart series for the last month, knowing that there's a lot of division and a lot of strife and a lot of chaos in our nation, as well as across our world. A lot of the strife and division is based on political lines or, or socioeconomic lines or racial lines or people with different per personal perspectives and people with different uh, personal differences. Now, Jesus knew that his church would always be threatened by external forces, but he knew even more the church would be threatened by internal division. Uh, he said in Matthew chapter 12, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. So that's why it's important for the church, for the people of God to have one heart, to be united in our love for the Lord, to be united in our love for one another, to be united in what we are doing for the cause of Christ, for the, for the kingdom of the Lord. Because if we're not united, if we're not praying together and serving one another and supporting one another and encouraging one another and cooperating with one another, Jesus's team is not going to do very well. And we're going to lose this cultural battle we're fighting for the world, this spiritual battle we're fighting with the devil and devilish people for the heart and soul of the world. Now, Jesus prayed the words we just read uh, to his heavenly father. Words about helping his followers stay united, no matter what challenge or obstacles or elections they would have to go through in their lives. And as you've already discovered in this series, Jesus is the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient Son of God. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present. And he knows what is most needed for us. He knows what is best for our lives. He knows what is best for our world. And he knows that if we're to overcome the world and glorify him, we're going to have to stay united. We're going to have to stay united. Earlier, before we prayed this prayer in John 17, Jesus spoke the following words to his disciples in John 16, 33. He says, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and many sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, in those words, Jesus was reminding us that we're going to face trouble. We're going to face division. We're going to face heartache and heartbreak and all kind of difficulties and challenges in life. But if we'll turn to the Lord and trust in the Lord, he will give us the power to overcome all those troubles. He says, take heart because I've overcome the world. But then he begins this prayer in John 17. It begins in verse 1 by saying, glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. And the beginning words of Jesus' prayer reminds us that our primary purpose in life is not to exalt political parties or political leaders or our own agenda or somebody else's. Our primary purpose in life is to bring glory and honor and praise to the name of Jesus. And we can only do that when we're committed to being unified, when we're committed to being together in our purpose, in our plans, in our heart, in our minds. We need to learn about that today from this part of Jesus's prayer. There's several things we find here about how to cooperate with one another, how to be united with one another uh, in the body of Christ. First of all, cooperation with one another requires praying for one another. We've got to be praying for one another if we're going to stay united with one another. Let me take you back to our text, Jesus' prayer in John 17, verses 20 and 21. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever, ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so the world will believe you sent me. I don't know about you, but I, I find it refreshing just to see that in the most critical, uh, despairing time of his life, in the time where Jesus prayed, Lord, I don't want to go through this suffering, but not, my, not my will, but true will be done. During this time, Jesus took time to pray for his disciples. You know, most of us are pretty good at praying for ourselves. Man, we had a need, we have a challenge, we have a big obstacle, we become champion prayer warriors. But prayer is even better when we're praying for others. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for ourselves. We certainly need to pray for our needs. The Bible says we're to pray for our daily bread, but we ought to be praying for others as well. 
One single guy prayed like this, Lord, I'm not asking for anything else, but would you please give my mother a beautiful daughter-in-law? I mean, that's how some people pray. Another man prayed, Lord, bless me and my wife, our son John and his wife, us four, no more. Don't be like that. Broaden your prayer life. Although we're instructed in God's word to pray for our needs, praying selfishly or in a self-focused way is not prayer at its best. We must realize that prayer at its best always focuses on others. You find Paul praying for others. You find Peter praying for others. You find other people in the Bible praying for others. And, and here you find Jesus praying for others. Let me ask you, do you pray for other people? Do you pray for your friends? Do you pray for your relatives? Even your, especially your crazy relatives. Do you pray for your coworkers? Do you pray for your schoolmates? Uh, do you pray for your neighbors? Do you pray for the people around you? Uh, do you pray for your enemies? Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for them. Do you pray for the people who don't vote the way that you vote? Listen, we should be very concerned about others in such a way that we are motivated to pray for them. And then after praying for them, we need to be looking for ways to minister to them, to serve them, uh, to be a blessing to them. In our text, we find Jesus praying for his disciples. Now, Jesus knew that, uh, that his time of distress on the cross would also be, that distress would be experienced by his disciples. And those moments leading up to his crucifixion. So he, that's why he decided to pray for his disciples and all the disciples who would ever follow after them. Many times when people go through problems, we try to come alongside of them to help them. I mean, last week I was trying to help people clean up their yards and trying to help people get a generator. But I discovered one of the best things I can do for people is pray for people like Jesus prayed for people at the end of his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because when we pray for people, we get our Heavenly Father involved in their lives and circumstances. And, and our Heavenly Father can always accomplish more than any of us can accomplish. In fact, God can do more in a moment than any of us can do in a lifetime. Now, I'm not saying we should just pray for people and not try to do something to help them. That's a cop out. Uh, we need to pray for people. We need to lift them up to the Lord. We need to be concerned about them. And then we need to get involved in helping people, taking the steps we need to help them and assist other people. That, that's, called, uh, that's called putting feet to our prayer. We need to pray and then put feet to our prayer. I heard about a woman one time, I think it was in Texas, and she had a bar at the end of her street. And for 20 years, she prayed for the Lord to get rid of that bar, for the Lord to remove that bar, for the Lord to close down that bar. One day she asked her maid who was cleaning her house, Matilda, would you pray with me for the Lord to get rid of the bar? They prayed, and that night the bar burned down. She couldn't wait to call Matilda next day. She said, Matilda, I can't believe it. I've been praying for the Lord to get rid of this bar for 20 years. You prayed with me, and all of a sudden the bar's gone. And Matilda said, I know. She said, I went and burned it down. Uh, don't, don't do that. Don't go that far. Don't be like that. But do pray for people and then put feet to your prayers. Now, notice what Jesus prayed for as he prayed for his then and future disciples. He prayed for them to become one. He prayed for them to be unified. Now, early in his prayer, Jesus had mentioned unity between Christians. But at this moment in his prayer, unity between Christians becomes the burden of his heart. Why was Jesus so burdened so to pray so powerfully at the end of his prayer for his people to be unified? Because he knew they could never withstand the attacks of the devil and devilish people if they didn't stand together, if they didn't come together. Let me tell you something. We'll never be able to overcome the attacks of the devil and devilish people. We'll never be able to transform our world in good and godly ways. Uh, we'll never be able to survive all the things that we have to deal with in life if we don't come together as men and women of God, as teenagers of God. We don't come together and unite our hearts and minds together in the Lord. Paul wrote about the importance of spiritual unity between followers of Jesus Christ a number of times. One of those times was in Ephesians 4, where he wrote, This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, oftentimes as Christians, we focus on 
on, on, on gaining knowledge of God's Son. And that is important. But Paul said equally important is being unified with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, in what ways do we need to be unified with other Christians? We need to be unified with other Christians in our minds. That means we need to have similar beliefs and similar values, especially in regard to the principles and practices that are found in the Word of God. We need to be united with other Christians in our mission. That means our focus is always to be building up God's church, not tearing down anybody or anything. And then we need to be unified with other Christians in our ministry. That means we'll be working together to meet the needs of the hurting, to bring hope to the hopeless and help to the helpless and, and to, to help people become followers of Jesus Christ and disciples of the Lord. So considering that we need to be united with other Christians in our minds, in our ministry, in our mission, let's address the question, what and who did Jesus pray for in his prayer? And what and who should we be praying for? Well, Jesus prayed for his current disciples, reminding us that we need to be praying for our fellow believers. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in our church and even in other churches as well. And you, know, Jesus had a, you know, Jesus had a diverse group of disciples. I mean, he had one of the disciples named Matthew who was a tax collector for the Roman government. He was a, he was a Roman employee. He had another disciple named Simon the Zealot. The Zealot means that he was opposed to the Roman government. I mean, here were two guys from different political backgrounds and different political camps, and yet they were both uh, followers of Jesus Christ, they were both part of his original disciples. They'd come together to form a higher allegiance than allegiance to Jesus Christ and to the kingdom of God. So Jesus was praying for all of them. And similarly, we need to be praying for other Christians, even when they don't look like us or live where we live or vote like us and all those kinds of things. Also, uh, Jesus also prayed for his future disciples, which reminds us that we should be praying for our friends, our relatives, our associates, our neighbors who don't yet know the Lord. When's the last time you prayed for somebody who's not a Christian? Somebody uh, that you work with who's hard to get along with. Somebody that you live beside who's hard to get along with. Somebody that you're related to who's hard to get along with. And we're to be praying for other people so they can, come to become, they can come to know the Lord and become a follower or disciple of the Lord as well. And by the way, not only should we just pray for them, and we should be praying for them, but I like it when I have opportunities to pray with them. Sometimes, you know, sometimes people will say, well, would you pray for me? Uh, you, you know, when you notice when people are not doing well, feeling well, downcast, all that kind of stuff, you need to ask them, how are you doing? Anything, everything okay? And if they tell you, well, man, I've got this problem, that problem, uh, sometimes we say, well, I'll pray for you. But what we need to say is, can I pray for you right now? Yeah. Now, I know that's, <laughs> that's intimidating sometimes. It's scary for some people. I prayed for a guy at a restaurant the other day. He said, Rev, would you pray for me? I said, let's pray right now. And I looked at him and while I was praying, his eyes were about this big right there, you know. Uh, but here's what I know. Man, when you pray, God begins to work and the power of God will flow through you into the lives of the people. And there are many people who now come to Celebration Church who said, you met me somewhere and you prayed for me and I sensed the presence of God and I wanted to know more about Jesus in my life. Jesus also prayed for his disciples' unity, which reminds us that we should be praying for healing and the unity of the divisions within the church. Paul wrote these words in Ephesians 4, 2 and 3. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. It says make every effort to keep yourselves united. So we got to daily ask ourselves, are, are my words, are my actions, are my posts, are they dividing people or uniting the body of Christ? And then Jesus also prayed for his disciples' impact on the world, which reminds us that we should be praying that the unity of our church 
bring salvation and healing and help to our world. Jesus said this in John 17, 23. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that, that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Now we're going to learn more about uh, this in next week's message. Well, you know what we always think, what would it be like if Jesus answered my prayers? You ever think like that? What would it be like if Jesus answered my prayers? Uh, but can you imagine what would it be like if we answered Jesus's prayer? If we answered his prayer to be united, to be unified in heart and in spirit, uh, my hope would be that we would be the kind of church that answers and honors the prayers that Jesus prayed right before he went to the cross. And by the way, we shouldn't just be praying for one another. We shouldn't just be praying with one another. Uh, sometimes the way we overcome our differences is by praying together. I got a call this week from a pastor who's got a church member really mad at him. I try to give him a little counsel. You know, sometimes that happens. People get aggravated at the pastor. One pastor had this woman who didn't like him. She didn't like the way he looked. She didn't like the way he preached. She didn't like the way he led the church. And she made, she let everybody know she didn't like anything about him. One day he was driving through her neighborhood and he saw her car parked in her driveway. He said, I got convicted. He said, I think I need to reconcile with her. So he stopped to speak with her. He knocked on the door. Nobody came to the door, rang the doorbell. Nobody came to the door. He thought maybe she sat back in the backyard. So he walked around back to try to find her, knocked on the back door. Nobody came to the door, but the car was there in the driveway. He was about to leave and he said, let me try one more time. He went to the front door and, and knocked on the door. Nobody answered. So he, he did something I wouldn't ever advise you to do. He got on his knees and there was a large keyhole uh, on these old, old doors. He got on his knees and looked through that large keyhole. And guess what he saw looking back at him through that keyhole? He saw the other, he saw the woman's eyeballs looking at him through that keyhole. She had been watching him the whole time. And so he said in a voice loud enough to be heard through the door, isn't it a coincidence that the first time you and I have seen eye to eye is the first time we've both been on our knees together? Let me tell you, when you get together, if you can't get along with somebody, another Christian, get together and pray together and the Holy Spirit will work on your heart and their heart and help you become united again. So cooperation with one another requires praying for one another. It also requires giving glory to our Heavenly Father. Let me take you back to verse 24. Jesus said, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. He's saying, I want them to see me in heaven one day. How many of you want to see the Lord in heaven one day? Well, that's what he was praying for. But he was also saying that when his disciples put aside their differences and become united, that brings him and his heavenly father glory. Now, the word glory is related to God in the Old Testament. It carries with it the idea of greatness or splendor. In the New Testament, the word translated glory means dignity, honor, praise, and worship. And you putting the two together, we find that glorifying the Lord means acknowledging his greatness and then giving him honor by praising him, by exalting him, by worshiping him, primarily because he and he alone deserves to be praised and honored and worshiped. Now, there are three things we've got to do to give God glory. First, we need to understand that glory is due to the Lord and to him alone. He deserves all the glory. We're not to give glory to other people. We can praise other people. We can brag on other people. We can affirm other people. But the only one who deserves our glory is the Lord. That's why it's so important to see that our differences or worldly allegiances as Christians can never get in our way of our uh, allegiance to the Lord, our relationship with one another. Anytime we allow our differences to separate us, we have allowed something or someone else to take first place in our lives. And that's wrong. We're to give first place to the Lord. He deserves all the glory of our lives. 
We can't allow our politics or our race or opinions or our values or our desires or our preferences take the place of the Lord in our lives. All glory belongs to God and to God alone. Also, glory is an offering that we bring before the Lord. The offering we bring involves agreement, obedience, and submission to God's plan and God's will for our lives. His, his proclamations and His statutes are holy. And so we glorify Him by, by listening to His Word, by learning His Word, by believing His Word, by trusting His Word, by growing in His Word, by, by living by His Word. Jesus said this, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And then we glorify God by rehearsing and proclaiming His attributes and His deeds. See, glorifying God is agreeing with everything He says about the world, everything He says about others, but primarily agree with everything He says about Himself. We declare Him to be holy and perfect and true because that's who He says He is. And that's who, is, who has proven Himself to be. When we tell of God's work in our lives, how He saved us from ourselves, how He transformed our life, how He made us into a better person, how he, he changed our hearts and our minds and our life, we are glorifying Him before others. We're giving Him the praise and the honor and glory. And now, even though others don't always want to hear us glorifying the Lord, they need to hear us glorifying the Lord. They need to hear us giving credit to the Lord, talking about who he is to us, what he's done for us, how he's blessed us, how he's helped us and how he can do the same for them as well. Now, notice this. When everyone focuses on giving glory to God, when every Christian focuses on giving glory to God, then it becomes possible for us to tolerate conflict, offense and separation within the kingdom of God. Then it becomes possible for us to overcome conflict, offense and separation within the kingdom of God. Now, I talk with a lot of couples about marriage because let me tell you, marriage is a difficult thing. If you tell me it's not, I know you're lying. Marriage is a difficult thing. I tell people if love is a dream, marriage is an alarm clock that wakes you up from the dream. You have two different people, two different uh, personality, two different everything trying to mix them together into one person. But I use this illustration a lot with couples. It's like a triangle. Come on, put your hands up like a triangle right there. Like a triangle. Here's you. Uh, here's your spouse. Uh, you're different in every way. You have different temperaments, different preferences, different ideas, different ways of doing things, different, different, different. Up here is the Lord at the top of the triangle. And here's what I've found. The closer both of you get to the Lord, the closer you get to one another. The closer both of you get to the Lord, the closer you get to one another. And it's the same way in the Christian life. The more we give glory to the Lord, the more we honor the Lord, the more we praise the Lord, the closer we get to one another in our lives. So we got to focus on glorifying Him. Paul said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Peter said, rather you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All glory to Him, both now and forever. Here's the third thing. Cooperation with one another also requires knowing the heart of Jesus. Knowing the heart of Jesus. Jesus said in John 17, 25, O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. Now in that verse, Jesus is telling us some things about himself. He's telling us that our Heavenly Father's love for mankind is why Jesus left heaven to give his life, to bring salvation to the human race. Did you know that God loves you uh, with an everlasting love and there's nothing you could ever do to stop God from loving you? Uh, most people don't understand that. They've been told by others they're unlovable. They've been told by others they're insignificant and unwanted. They've been told by others that their lives don't matter. And so they struggle with the concept of being loved by the Lord. They look at their mistakes and their failures. We all do that and think, how could God love me? I'm telling you, the Lord loves you with an everlasting, never-ending kind of love. One time, some eight-year-old boys were looking at the prettiest girl in their class. You know, it's not cool for eight-year-old boys to like a girl. But one of the boys said as they looked at the prettiest girl in their class, you know, when I stop hating girls, that's the first girl I'm going to stop hating. 
I want to tell you, there's never been a time in your life when God hated you or disliked you or didn't want you. He's loved you with an everlasting love. And Jesus came to the earth to demonstrate to us God's great love for us. Paul said in Romans 5, 8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, unlovely and unlovable. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for a God who doesn't just say that he loves us, but who shows us that he loves us. He showed it again by sending his son to die on the cross for our sin. Why did Jesus go through all that he went through in the Garden of Gethsemane and then through the trial and then through the beating and then through his crucifixion so that he could, so that we could actually know about the love of God and so we could actually know him in ways that people had never previously been able to know him. Now we know of a lot of people, but we don't necessarily know other people intimately. Like, for example, some of you act like you know Drew Brees. I mean, if you saw him today at a restaurant, you'd say, hey, Drew, like y'all been best friends for all of your life, you know? Uh, you've been friends with him. You, you know, he drew stats and his age and his address, maybe, and his kids' names and his shoe size and his history. But at the end of the day, last week when your power went out, Drew Brees didn't call you and say, hey, man, can I help you out? You see, neither, by the way, neither any presidential candidate call you and say, can I help you out? Why? Because you don't really know them and they don't really know you. You know of Drew Brees. You don't have a real personal relationship with him. But Jesus reaches out and invites us to have a real, intimate, personal relationship with him and with the Heavenly Father. And by the way, if we have a real relationship with the Lord and we're really members of our, his family, we're going to want to have a real intimate relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Even when they don't look like us, even when they live in different parts of the city than us, even when they don't vote like us. In our day, we tend to unfriend, block and abandon friends over arguments and debates uh, uh, about people we will never even meet. No, I can't tell you how many people have told me my friend unfriended me because I won't vote like she votes or vote like he votes and all that kind of stuff. Listen, we're cutting off family members we do know over people we will never know. And that's a sad place to be in our lives, in our world. That's not the heart of Jesus. What does it take to have the heart of the Lord? We've got to have a heart for the Father. Jesus said that, John said this, the Apostle John, see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize we're God's children because they don't know him. You know what blesses me as a father? When my children get along. <laughs> when my children get along. There are times when my kids were growing up, my son and my daughter, they were real sweet to one another. And then the other 95% of the time, they weren't so sweet to one another. They were arguing, they were fussing, they were doing this and that. Uh, and so sometimes they would uh, just kind of almost drive me out of my mind because they couldn't get along with one another, didn't want to get along with one another. And so when that happened, I'd just make them do what my mama made me and my brothers do. I'd make them hug one another for a period of time and tell one another they love one another. Sometimes I wondered if God in heaven would just like to say, well, why don't y'all go hug it out? Y'all go hug it out there until you get it right. Because I want you to love one another. We need to have a heart for, uh, the the, uh, for the Father. We need to have a heart for serving and helping our fellow disciples. Jesus said this in Matthew 20, Among you, uh, life will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. So we've got to be thinking about how we can serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to have a heart for the mission. A heart for going and making disciples and baptizing people in the name of Jesus Christ and helping them become difference makers and world changers as well. We have to be committed to the mission that Jesus has left to us. It's so easy to lose sight of the mission over all the distractions around us. But the mission is what gets us back on track. Focusing on the mission is what gets us back on the track. See, the devil is always trying to distract us from the mission. He knows if he can distract us, he can divide us. And if he can divide us, he can defeat us. 
No one ever gets married, for example, and thinks to themselves, I can't wait until the day this marriage ends in divorce. But somewhere along the way, they get distracted with own things. They get distracted. He never helps with the dishes. She never does the laundry. I'm the only one who does anything with the kids. Uh, uh, they get distracted. Then they, get dis they fall into disagreement with one another. They get divided. And when they get divided, they get defeated and wind up, wind up with a divorce. In the church, a lot of people are divorced from one another. I'm talking about in a fellowship sense because they got distracted and they got divided and they got divorced. Don't let that happen to you in that. Keep your focus on the Heavenly Father. Keep your focus on serving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Keep your focus on the mission. Glorifying the Lord and having the heart of Jesus for others. And then cooperation with one another requires loving others through Jesus. Jesus said in John 17, 26, I have revealed you to them. And I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. What a picture. The father's love for Jesus is supposed to be in us, in us. We always talk about God's love for us, but sometimes we don't think about God's love in us. He, we have the person of the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us because he lives inside of us. The love of God lives inside of us and the love of God ought to flow out of us. The love for others, all others. I know a lot of Christians who are full of a lot of things. And some of them are full of, you know what? But we need to be full of the Father's love for other people. For the Father's love for other people. Let me ask you, is that how people would describe you? Would they say, Dennis Watson is full of the Father's love? Would they say, Brenda is full of the Father's love? Stephen's full of the Father's love? Isaac's full of the Father's love? John's full of the Father's love? Would they say we're full of the Father's love? Or would we think, well, they're full of a lot of other stuff besides the Father's love? Listen, at one time, uh, they're certainly not going to say that we're full of the Father's love if they hear us talking about one another, gossiping about one another, yelling at one another, criticizing one another, calling out one another. They won't think we're full of the Father's love. One point during the game, a coach called one of his seven-year-old seven football players to the sideline and asked, Son, do you understand what it means to be a part of a team? Do you know what it means to support and cooperate with others? And the boy nodded. Yes, sir, I know. He said, do you understand? If a team doesn't work well together, we're going to lose the game. The boy said, yes, sir, I understand. Do you understand, son, that while winning the game is important, it's also important how we play the game? Yes, sir. He said, I understand. And the coach said, also, I'm sure you know that when a play doesn't go well, you shouldn't argue, you shouldn't curse, you shouldn't attack your fellow members or call them stupid heads. And the boy said, yes, sir, I know not to do that. And, 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 the, and the coach said, son, when I call you off the field, so another boy gets a chance to play. It's not good sportsmanship to call your church, your, your coach an idiot. Do you understand that? And the boy said, yes, coach, I understand. He said, now go over and explain that to your mom over there. <laughs> Jesus might be feeling like that coach right now when he looks at his church today. He sees the church divided by politics and ethnicity and lots of other things. He hears us yelling at one another. What he and the world ought to see is a people of God loving one another, encouraging one another, supporting one another, helping one another. The love of the Father is supposed to be in us and we're to show that love to all other people. The Bible says most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other for love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I love that verse because I've got a multitude of sins in my life. You probably do, too. I know you do. you got a lot of sins. And here's what I know. Loving other people covers a multitude of sins in our lives. You know, about once a month, we'll host together in our pastors here at Celebration Church. And they'll come from all, all over greater New Orleans. They'll come from different denominational backgrounds, different racial, ethnic backgrounds. They'll come from different uh, geographical backgrounds. They'll come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. They'll come together. They'll come together for all. Everything is different. But when we come together, 
to lift up the name of Jesus, to pray together, to figure out how together we can make it. And let me tell you, we have some tense moments. We have some intense discussions. We have some disagreements. But when we get on our knees together and pray together, the Spirit of God comes because the Bible says when, when the people of God are in one accord, that's when the Holy Spirit moves in mighty and powerful ways in the lives of His people, in His church and throughout the world. The love of Christ is what brings people together when they have differences and different opinions. You know, we're going to have differences and different opinions. Vicki and I, we disagree on almost everything sometimes, it seems like. Uh, we canceled out one another's votes from time to time, but we're going to stay together because we love one another. We love the Lord. And we love one another. If you love the Lord and you love one another, you can overcome all the other stuff and be united in purpose and mission for the Lord. Unity and harmony in the body of Christ is a priority to God and should be a priority to us. That's why Paul wrote these words in Colossians 3. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in conflict. Is that what it says? You're called to live in disagreement. Is that what it says? You're called to live in peace. And when the church values cooperation with the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and one another, I mean, that's when great, mighty, and miraculous things begin to happen. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You know, in some ways, I wish I had preached this message before the election. Now I'm kind of glad I preached it after the election. Because now that the election's over, we've got to refocus on exalting the name of Jesus. We've got to refocus on building up the body of Christ. We've got to refocus on joining our hearts and lives together. We've got to refocus on forgiving one another and reconciling one another and, and just becoming the family of God once again. Now, I want you to think of it. Here's what I want you to do. Our heads about. But this week, I want you to find another brother and sister in Christ who probably voted differently than you did. And I want you to Sit down with them, talk about your differences. You can't change anything now. Talk about your differences and pray together. Now, I'd prefer it to be male to male, female to female. I don't want any single guys looking for a girlfriend that way, you know, just to, but find somebody who's probably voted differently than you did and talk. Listen. The Bible says be slow to speak, be quick to listen, and slow to speak. Listen and then pray together. Pray together for the cause of Christ and pray together for one another. We're a family and we got to be a functional family, not a dysfunctional family. And that requires loving Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength and loving our brothers and sisters and Christ as much or more as we love ourselves. Let me tell you, it's a wonderful thing to be a part of the family of God. I've traveled all over the world and been welcomed by all kinds of cultures, people from all kinds of different ethnicities. It's a wonderful thing to be a part of the family of God. I do want to tell you that you don't become a member of the family of God until you make Jesus Christ the Savior and Lord of your life. So have you ever done that? Have you ever committed your life to the Lord? Have you ever been born again? Do you sense the presence of the Lord in your life? If you're not sure that you do right now with our heads bowed, would you just pray with me? You say, what do I pray, Pastor? Just pray these words I mean them. Pray, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And today I'm asking you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins and begin the process of transforming my life. Take away my shame and my guilt, my hurt and my pain and fill my life with your presence, your peace, your love, your joy, the power to change and the power to love others like you've loved me. I pray this with all of my heart. In your name, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now I want to encourage you, if you would, on your phone or tablet to go to webcc.info, find the My Decision tab. 
And if today you pray with me to receive Jesus as your Savior, check off, I pray with the pastor. If you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, check that off. If you've never been baptized or you need to be baptized again, check that off. Whatever you need to, decision you need to make, and we'll follow up with you in the coming days. And remember this, take the time this week to find, to find a brother or sister in Christ who may be different than you in some ways, who may have voted differently than you. Talk, share, learn, listen, pray together. Don't let anything or anyone keep you from being united in the Lord. Let's be a part of answering the prayer of Jesus in our day. Lord, thank you, Lord Jesus, for praying for us many years ago while you were facing the greatest test of your life. Praying for us to be one, praying for us to be united. May we love you enough to put aside our differences and be united like you prayed for us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Again, thanks for listening to the Celebration Church Podcast.